powered by Go Goat Sports in partnership with TSN. This is episode 30, season four of the Rain Drags Hockey Podcast, and it is presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Pub Whiskey. We've got Dave Nonis, who's a repeat customer here on the Rain Drags Podcast, former NHL general manager. We call him our NHL front office insider, front office insider, Ray, Dave Nonis, joining us again. And he's got an interesting perspective because it feels, I don't know how it feels like to you, but, and I mean, you live in a home with front office executive. Uh, so whether you get this sense or not, it always feels to me in my side of the business, you get into January, turn the page on the calendar, you're looking at the second half of the regular season and things start to intensify, right? Because, you know, you look at the bottom third of the NHL and you can say, okay, well, those guys inevitably are probably going to be sellers. Um, buyers, we're not so sure yet. And we don't know what the sellers are entire in terms of the entire list yet either. But there does seem to be, when you get into January, at least a, a heightened level of intensity and urgency around the league. Without question, the players feel it too. You know, like as they get into January here, they, yeah. they all know that the deadline's creeping up and they start thinking about it a little bit, talk about it a little bit more. One thing I have in my in my mind here, Drake, is about those sellers at the bottom. Yeah. Given the way the cap is and everybody's so tight, what if those sellers become a seller, but then a buyer where they give nothing back, right? virtually nothing back to uh, a good team? that's looking to move a contract because they want to bring somebody different in. Mm -hmm. And so what if you get a legit NHL player for a seventh round draft pick? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I think that's more possible this year than, than in the past. Mm. And is a lot of that cap related? I think it's all cap related. So say you're, say you're heavy on forwards and you're like, man, we got to find a D. Yeah. You're a good team. We yeah. we need to find a D or we've got to, maybe there's an injury, a key injury between now and then about a goaltender and you've, you've got to readjust the way you think. Well, maybe the only way to do it because that goalie or that defenseman that gets hurt is not out for the rest of the year. He's only out for three weeks. Right. Well, yeah. now you got to do something. You've got to, you've got to cap move something and you mm. might have to pay a price that you don't want to pay. Yeah. And so you uh. just give the player away so you can adjust to, Adjust your mindset. If I'm talking about teams that are good, mm-hmm. that are trying to win, that may need to add something else. This might be the only way they can do it. Right. And and as we'll talk about in headlines presented by Boston Pizza, you've got a number of teams that you know are dealing with injury, and that's just a part of the game. It it does feel this year like it's just been more difficult to manage than it has in past years. We'll get to that, but because we're recording here Thursday afternoon, we we obviously have to stay away from the old gold medal game of the World Junior Championship, which is unfortunate. It'll be a good game. We'll revisit on Tuesday in episode 31. But I am looking from you for a general thought. And, you know, we'll talk to Dave Nonis about this too from, from a management perspective. But how much stock do you think the performances of these kids is put in how that might translate or relate to what type of pro they're going to be, what type of NHL player they're going to be, or is it just unfair? They're playing peer to peer on a world stage, best on best in their age category. But how can you possibly know what they're going to be again, like against twenty-five-year-old, thirty, thirty-five-year-old men? I think I think there's too much from the public, like from the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from the media, whether a player is good or bad in this tournament. Uh, yeah. I did 12 of them 
and I saw wild swings of players that you were certain were going to be a really good player at the pro level, and they just weren't. Mm-hmm. And then players that struggled in this tournament and you know, turned out to be everything that you thought they were going to be or that you had read about, mm-hmm. but they just weren't in that two weeks. Like I, I tell people often, you know, the first time I saw Nate McKinnon play, he was wearing a cage and he looked like a fish out of water. He, these guys were too fast. At, and when you think of Nate now, like that doesn't even seem possible. I know. That remember Connor McDavid, the <laughs> tournament in Toronto, man, he was so nervous and trying so hard yeah. and he scored a goal um, later, late in the tournament and it was his first. And I remember saying they had a great close up. Our, you know, our camera guys and the directors, they just nailed this shot of McDavid. And I, and I remember just saying, now breathe. Yeah. Like for the first time he could exhale. <laughs> and then you saw what Connor McDavid was. But prior to that, he was a nervous teenager. So I think mm-hmm. too much. Um, and, and I also think that the undrafted players, there's such focus on them dregs and where they might go in the draft. Yeah. What if a guy has a terrible two weeks and a great seven months? Yeah. How are you going to weigh that? To me, the seven months outweighs the two weeks. Yeah. You know, we, we collectively as a hockey society, fans included, put so much pressure on these young players because we're watching them on the world stage. But, you know, then you look in the NHL and I'm thinking specifically here, the Montreal Canadiens and of late, they've been in a bad funk. You know, there's, there's talk and good reason to talk about it. Your ice left Kofsky, some of their other young defensemen, uh, players that are likely headed to the American league and headed mm-hmm. to Laval. If, if the Montreal Canadians can't turn it around, this isn't an indictment on these young players. What it is, is a recognition of how difficult it is to develop at the NHL level and the fact that there's nothing wrong with putting them in the AHL. A better environment, maybe more competitive for where they're at developmentally. So doesn't it feel like we need to look at that differently? Again, as a hockey society, if we see Slavkovsky, first pick overall, sent to the American Hockey League at the midway point or past the midway point of the regular season. You know, the word fan comes from fanatic. <laughs> True. And yeah. so, like, it, it's just not possible. Like, but many people will will understand the pumping of the brakes and that uh, a player needs to take a step back. A lot will view it as that the player's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And depending on the the way that that player has played up until that point will determine a lot of that public view Mm -hmm. of a youngster being sent to the American League. Now, I actually am in favor of it. I'm in favor of Shane Wright going back to junior. Mm -hmm. I don't think he needs to go to Seattle and play seven minutes a game in the games he gets in. I think he needs to play. I think he needs to develop. Here's the other thing, Drakes. If you're playing in Montreal and you're you're one of those young guys and you make a turnover in a 3-3 game and it ends up in the net, that thing's all over the internet. It's all over articles it's all over the video um in the highlights and then he does it in the american league same thing same turnover same result nobody knows nobody cares because it's a developmental league and that's exactly what those kids need sometimes a step back out of the out of the pressure out of the limelight into more minutes into more meaningful minutes is absolutely the way to go I, I'm in favor of it. I don't, any of those kids that get sent back by Montreal or some other team that has young guys that may go down, I, I don't think there's an issue with it at all. Agreed. 
Okay, the the other side of the spectrum. So I had a conversation earlier this week with Pat Brisson, who represents Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, we've speculated on this in the media for months, dating back to the offseason last year, probably. You know, when is it right to trade Kane and Taves? And Pat admitted, you know, look, I've got to engage in serious conversation with both those players. You know, they're not necessarily chasing cups. They each have three Stanley Cups. A fourth would be nice. Who doesn't want to win four Stanley Cups? But he itemized it this way for me, for insider trading. Number one, both those guys have to decide, do they want to be traded? Do they want to be traded? Then number two, and we're still, again, as we approach the midpoint of the season, do you know with certainty, aside from the top of the division, top of the conferences, who the top contenders are? Well, maybe those two guys need a little bit more time to see if a team that fits them more geographically, in fact, could be a contending team. So that kind of fits into the, the decision-making. And then thirdly, do you accept the trade and go into free agency this summer? Or if it's a really nice fit and all the bases are covered, do you do the trade and sign? So those are the three things that Brisson is going to wrestle with Kane and Taves on. I mean, doesn't sound like much unless you're that player, Ray, you know, who, in Kane and Taves' case, who have played their entire career with one organization in Chicago. It becomes more complicated, more emotional. Well, it becomes more complicated, but it also becomes what that player feels is the goal. Is it to try and win again? Is it, does he have a couple of really good buddies on a particular team? Mm-hmm. Is he more comfortable going to team A than team B? Is a team that he wants to go to really just kind of an okay team or are they a really good team? Yeah. All that stuff will play in. I just know as I got older and playing on teams that were in the rebuild phase, it stinks. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't have three cups in my pocket, so maybe I would have thought of it a little different. Right. I, I'm playing at that time and going, this is really crappy. Mm-hmm. We are, we're out of the playoffs. I mean, not mathematically, but we're out of the playoffs already. Yeah. Now what? All right. You and Cammie and family spent some time in Seattle recently, right? Um, yeah, spent uh, four days down there. Happy birthday to Riley, 16th birthday. And yeah, did a couple of games where the Kraken, I'll tell you, the building was alive, Drake's. There, 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 there's some belief there. So that feeds in perfectly with, with what I'm going to bring up here. I mean, this is a legitimate playoff contending team. Like, legit. Dave Axtall seems to be doing a good job. The players are responding. They've, they've had their share of success this year. Uh, you also know Ron Francis very well. General Manager Ron. Exceptionally conservative GM, for the most part, I think. When you look at the body of the work in Carolina, sure. he was a conservative dude. That's just who he is by nature. Should we expect him to try and bolster uh, the Kraken's lineup, you know, to to further encourage a playoff push because of what you said. I mean, I don't know that he feels like he owes anything to the fan base, but it would be cool to see that team in the playoffs. Well, they spent $600 million on the team. They spent a billion on the arena. They spent a couple hundred million on the American League facility, uh, which by all accounts is just a gorgeous place. A couple of playoff games might be kind of nice. Maybe the owner would like a couple of playoff games. But I do not see, Dregs, uh, an exorbitant cost being paid by Seattle no. for anybody. I, I just don't. I, I look at their center ice position, and I think, you know what? Maybe maybe a veteran center mm-hmm. that's on an expiring contract might be of interest there. You know, Matty Beneers is their number one guy. He's 20 years old. 
Yeah. He gets out there. He goes and takes a face off against a 29 year old. He gets his clock cleaned Yeah, because yeah. he's, you know, he's just such a young player and he's so good. Oh, he's so fun huh. to watch. The people have really, uh, really taken to him, but I could see that. I could see that. I just do not see the crack in paying no. a, a really great price, like a high price for anybody. All right, those are your headlines. Thank you one more time to Boston Pizza. And as always, our interviews on Ray and Regs this year brought to you by Canadian Club Whiskey, who are asking, are you over beer? Why not try a refreshing CC ginger ale, throw in a lime, some lemon, next time you're having a drink or watching a game. Hi, it's Ray Ferraro. You've probably heard me talking about my friends at North Beach Agency and Craft Growth. They provide customized marketing solutions tailored to help grow businesses of all sizes. From results-driven marketing across TV, radio, and podcasts to websites, digital, social, out of home, and everything in between, they have the proven expertise to get the measurable results you need to get your business growing. You can visit craftgrowth.net and book your free business growth consultation now. That's craftgrowth.net. All right, pleased to be joined on the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast by Dave Nonis, who's turned into a regular contributor here, Ray. It's kind of nice to have, you know, we've got the opinion and often we've got the analysis and we think that we're armchair general managers, but in fact, we have the experience now of Dave Nonis to uh, guide us through some of the tough patches. And we're getting ready for the second half of the, of the NHL regular season. But before we get to that, Dave, the World Junior Championship, as we're recording this on Thursday, is poised for the gold medal. So we, we really can't talk a lot about the game, obviously. But from a management perspective, we in the media put a ton of stock in the individual play of these kids. You know, Connor Bedard has had an unbelievable World Junior Championship. Go down the list, country by country. So how much of that translates to what NHL teams are looking at based on individual performance, whether they're an undrafted player like Bedard or a drafted player and how it relates to future potential in the NHL? Well, I think it has a lot of you know, a lot of weight for both uh, drafted and undrafted. You know, primarily it's been looked at as a pro tournament because by and large, the players that have the biggest impact in this tournament have been uh, drafted players. It's uh, one of the biggest reasons why you see a lot of pro scouts at this tournament. And people think, well, these guys are young players. Why do you have a guy watching them when the, he's never played a pro game? The fact is you're building a book on some of these guys that are drafted. You want to see how they progress. They'll go from here, maybe back to junior for a year, and then they're in the American League. So having the pro guys there is really important. But it seems now that we're seeing more and more impact players as undrafted players, especially the last couple of years. And obviously this year, you know, there's mm -hmm. uh, there's more than one. And so it's a good combination to have both your, your, your staffs there, your amateur staff, to get a book on the guys who you're going to be drafting, you know, this June. Uh, and then you know, the pro guys who will take the handoff and then carry it forward. But it is a premier tournament. It's what, you know, it's gone from a, I think an important and exciting tournament to, to now a, a tournament where you are measuring the, the steps that the players are taking, how they react. The stage is much bigger than it was 20, 25 years ago. So you're getting a pretty good look at, you know, how players are going to evolve and, and what kind of players they're going to be once they reach the NHL. Dave. So with, you know, of course, with Bedard putting on this remarkable performance and, you know, everybody, everybody, fans, 
media, assume teams as well, super excited about him. You hear lots of people talk about, well, you should tank for Bedard. Great. You tank, you finish, and you got a 25% chance of Bedard. So maybe talk a little bit about the long-term strategy going into a draft, depending on where your team is. I don't know that people really understand what a tank means and how hard it is to do because you all got to offload contracts somewhere. And if you finish last, you're not guaranteed Connor Bedard anyway. So how does that all work? No, that's a good point. And I think people in different markets continue to talk about that. You know, let's tank and let's get the best player. It doesn't work that way. First of all, tanking is a lot harder now than it used to be. You, you made a good point. You just can't just unload contracts. It's no. it's very difficult to move money and move players that even if you don't, they're not part of your long term, they might they might be players that have two or three years left on their contract. That makes them hard to move. But there's nothing wrong with trying to set yourself up for the future. And I mean, if you know that the players on your team aren't going to be part of the solution, there's nothing wrong with trying to move them out, get some prospects that will weaken your your team with with a long term goal in mind. And you know, I'll give an example: my last year in Toronto, I I moved Cody Franson and Mike Santorelli. You know, they were they were reasonably good players for us at that point, but we got first round pick and other other pieces for it. We got worse by making that trade, and I, I think that's important to look at. Second thing is, we all remember how. Tim Murray's face when when he got Jack Eichel, you know that's a hell of a hockey player he got. But you know he put a lot of effort into trying to get to get down pretty far. And to your point, you know the prize there was Connor McDavid. And Jack Eichel was a runner up. He's a hell of a player. Everyone would love to have him on their team. But that just goes to show you can't put yourself in a spot where you know you're going to get Bedard. You just can't do it. Second thing is, Ray, as you as a player, you never quit. You know, manager can do whatever he wants, but the players aren't going to stop playing. They're going to play as hard as they can. The coaches are going to coach the best they can, and the chips are going to fall where they may. And I think there's karma involved in this, you know, somewhat as well. I, I know my one of my first years in Vancouver, we we were falling down the standings pretty hard, and Mark Crawford played Garth Snow our last game. And to me, it was important that we lose that hockey game. And, you know, he, he, was, he was, at that point, our starting goaltender. Well, Garth went in from center. And we lost the game anyway. So I think there's some there, there's something to it if you actually just play the game. Let the manager try to manu, you know manufacture a roster that is is aimed for the future. But the players and coaches aren't going to change the way they play. No. Well, I know from playing, you know, as everybody starts talking about the draft pick, you know, I'm, I was you know in my 30s, I'm like, well, I don't care about the draft pick. By the time this kid shows up here, it's got nothing to do yeah. with me. Dave, I'm curious too, like sometime this month, between now, I guess, and the end of the month, almost every team is going to have their their annual meetings. And pros and amateurs will talk and everybody will set a course for what the trade deadline might look like. How do you set that course? I mean, it's not just your standing. It's it's much bigger than that, I assume. Yeah, you're starting to look at a bunch of different things. You're starting to look at players that may become free agents at the end of the year. Uh, if you're a team that's selling, you're, you're looking at teams that uh, are good matches for the players that you might be moving on. So, you're, you know, those scouts are, are coming to the manager and saying, listen, th- these four teams are a really good match for, you know, for Frank Smith. And you might want to start having some conversations with them to see if there's a, a fit there. So there's a lot of ranking and, and discussions that go on, particularly amongst the pro guys. You know, they're starting, their job is to put together a list of players that might be a good fit, whether you're buying or you're selling. And, you know, that's that's a difficult job for them to do. It, it takes a lot of time and 
the teams that are good at it and the scouts that are good at it, they're very, very helpful in terms of uh, aiding and directing the manager as he gets close to the deadline. Dave, how do you look at the rental player market when, when you were a general manager? Because of late, and I don't know that this has changed in the last five plus years, but if you've got a decent rental, the ask is normally starts at a first round draft pick. So if, if we're looking at some of the forwards, as an example, you've got Horvat in, in Vancouver who's going to draw attention and, and is, you've got a couple of injured guys in St. Louis and O'Reilly and, and Tarasenko who are on expiring contracts. But it seems to me that you've never been a big fan of paying the big rental price. And in fact, I think you coined the phrase own rental might have been Tyler Bozak back in the day. But how do you justify that? Or is it specific to what you need and the fact that you can't afford to take on any sort of term because now you're worried about not only the playoffs and how deep you might go, but you're worrying about what your your salary structure looks like the year following? Yeah, you know, I think it it really depends on where you are as a team. I'm not against taking a rental on um, if I really felt the team was in a position to win. And mm-hmm. secondly, if I really felt that the player I was taken on is going to increase my odds dramatically. Yeah. And if if you can say, if, if you can't answer yes to both of those, then you're doing it for a, a different reason. You're doing it for publicity. You're doing it to, you know, make the media happy. That rarely works out. You know, I, I think if you look at what, what Colorado did last year, you know, they, they paid a price, but they were poised to to make that run and win. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have a number of teams that are going to make deadline deals you know, at this deadline, and they're going to be out in the first round. And if, if you look back at the number of teams that made those deals over the years that really didn't have a chance to win, uh, they may have been on their way up. It might be a good story that they're getting in. It's a good experience. They're, they're going to be champions at the right time. For those teams, I think it's irresponsible to, to pay a huge price for our rentals. If you want to add a piece for a second or a prospect to increase your chances of a little bit of success, that's one thing. But if you're going to pay through the nose and you really aren't a team that has a chance to win, I think at the end of the day, you're doing a disservice to your team. Dave, how quickly would you talk to one of those rentals if, say, you acquire them? Like, uh, for example, Colorado last year, you know, they, they paid a pretty pretty good price for Arturi Lekin from, from Montreal, and he was terrific for them. And they signed him to a, a longer deal this past summer How yeah, without knowing how quick. Colorado talk to him. How quickly do you get to a player like that, or do you just let him play the current season before you worry about the next? Well, I think it depends how sure you are on the player. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Last year as well, you know, I I talked to Boston before they they took on Lindholm, and mm-hmm. you know, questions there were: Do you think he's going to be a, a good player not for for one year, but for five years? And would you sign him long term if we pay a significant price? My answer was definitely. This player is going to be a good player for a significant amount of time. Is he going to be a good player into the last year? I think he'll be a serviceable player. Mm-hmm. But they they paid a pretty good price for yeah. him. But they paid a really good price for a top four defenseman, probably yeah. better than that. So you get a guy like that, you think he's interested in staying with you, and you got a team as a chance to win in a quality market like Boston, you try to sign him. I mean, if you're paying that price, you try to sign him. And I think if you are paying that kind of a price, you should know or have a really good feeling that this player is going to be a good fit for us. Mm. We're at the midway point, essentially at the midway point of the season. This is a tough question to answer. You know, we haven't done a ton of speculating on coaches. I mean, Boudreaux in, in Vancouver has been a target from early on in the season. But is there a time of the year, and maybe it's now because you're approaching the, the second half and the pressure for a team that thinks they're maybe playoff worthy is definitely inflated. But how how do you assess as a general manager or as an owner 
when you're looking at a potential coaching change? Or does sometimes it just become so obvious that you know that you're in that position, you've got to make that call? Again, I think the stage of your team, and I've been with around teams that there's a lot of pressure from the outside, let's just say, to make a change. And you, you have to be sure if you're going to make a coaching change you know, during the season on several things. One is you have a replacement. You know, if, if you're just adding somebody right. that, that might actually hinder the development of the younger players that you have on the team, you, you don't make that change. If you have someone within that you think is the solution long term or someone that's waiting in the wings long term, that's a person that you've, you're looking at that you really think is the guy you're going to hire anyway, then there is no reason to, to wait. But again, have to be sure about what you're doing and just saying, you know, just saying, I'm going to get rid of this guy because we've struggled. We're 500. We should be better than that. Uh, I don't think that that's the way you have to look at it. You really have to look at what is the new person going to do to us in the short term? And is that person going to, the guy that's going to be around when we have a chance to win? So if you're, if you're managing then and you're, you know, you're not even really thinking of a coaching change, you're happy with everything going on is would it be fair to say you're always accumulating information on people and players everywhere even though you might not even be thinking of a coaching change is that is that fair to say no question you know Lou Lamarillo told me that my first year as a manager that keep a book on on potential coaches potential head scouts you know potential people that you're going to want to come into your organization and I always I always did that. I always looked around, tried to get to know people and at the college ranks, always followed American League coaches, junior coaches, just to make sure that you have a pretty good feel of guys who might be contending candidates for for your vacancies. And that vacancy might be at the American League. You know, there's nothing wrong with developing coaches that turn into your NHL coach. I always looked at it that way. I always wanted somebody in the in the, the minors that I felt whether they're ready or not, they could eventually coach our team. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's important to keep a list. You don't want to start looking at the, you know, at the, in the middle of May to say, okay, I need to make a coach, coaching change. Who actually sh- should I be looking at? You want to be on that far before that. Excellent stuff, Dave. All right. Well, we'll check back in another week or two. And in the meantime, I mean, anything hot button that we should be on the lookout for? I mean, we're, we've tuned the, turned into the new year, 2023. <laughs> Does the pressure start to mount now from a managing perspective or is it, Pressure 365 days uh, of the year. No, I think it's mounting. I think it's mounting yeah. because we have teams that we expected to do well that haven't. And that's where the pressure really mounts. You know, on the flip, flip side of that coin, we have teams that have done better. And there, there is pressure there, too. You know, you don't think it's pressure in, in, in New Jersey to keep this thing rolling. You know, I think yeah. that they're saying, okay, you know, maybe the people didn't expect us to be here, but we are. So now, you no, know, now what do we do to keep this going? So I think it is starting to mount. Uh, I think there's going to be some really interesting storylines between now and the deadline. And I think they're going to, you're going to start to see them over the next two weeks. Beautiful. Excellent. Thanks for joining us once again, Dave. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Happy New Year. And we'd like to raise a glass of the fine, fine, fine Chronicle Series Canadian Club to Dave Nonos for joining us again today. Thank you, Dave. Presented by our good pals at Canadian Club. The final Chronicle Series, the 45-year-old release, is now available everywhere. All right, pleased to be joined by Chris Abbott, presentation of Batano.ca, now available in Ontario. Batano, the game starts now. And and literally, the game is about to start. As we record, <laughs> what are we, episode 30 of the Rain Dregs podcast, 
We're poised, looking forward to the gold medal game between Canada and Czechia, the rematch for all the marbles. So we can't really focus too much. In fact, can't focus at all on that game. But Chris, you had some interesting takes and, and ideas going into the semifinals. So let's look back and uh, listen to how that worked out for you. Yeah, this is where if, if we're on TV, you roll the clip, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I, well, you know what? I'm still okay with it. I took Sweden and the U.S. both as underdogs in the game, both for different reasons. Sweden, very good team, obviously. And save for the last minute of play, I cashed my bet. Um, and then they go on to lose in overtime. And then the U.S., I, I just thought they were too much of an underdog, almost a two-to-one underdog when I made the bet. And, and again, betting on junior hockey is is take, take it for what it is. I mean, you know, usually 18, 19, 20-year-olds, so they're, they're getting there, but it's still wild in the swings. But, you know, the U.S. started that game a house of fire. And if you sat down and looked at the stats of the game and you saw – you watched the game with your own eyes and you look at the scoreboard at the end, it really didn't make sense. It still didn't to me. So yeah, I took the losses, but but I'm still okay with how I made the bets. I I would say that's a good point about, uh, and we'll see if the final plays out in this way about the way the the tournament is. The swings with teenage hockey players are wildly inconsistent. It's oh. really hard to to get a handle on it, and that's why I I didn't mind your plays going into either game because as soon as something goes wrong, it's hard for it to turn the other way when you take the underdogs if they get out front pretty soon the pressure and the panic jumps into the favorite i think i don't know if you feel this but i feel that less so in the pros would that be fair mm. oh absolutely i mean uh just you put put yourself in the situation of those kids well ray you've been in the situation you've been ringside for this any number of times all the pressure, all the countries watching you, they get down to nothing. You know, frankly, kudos to the kids on the, I shouldn't call them kids, but the young men on the Canadian team for turning that around last night because yeah. pretty quickly the, the crowd starts to wonder, oh boy, is it here we go again? And, you know, for the, for them to take that two nothing and then it could have been worse for the, for the play of Thomas Millich. So, do uh, you know I what I thought? I thought the Bedard goal that made it 2 1 was yeah. critical. Like, had that leaked Agreed. on for four or five minutes? Then the, the building gets uneasy. You can hear it mm. in there. and But the fact they scored, and it was Bedard, yeah. I think mattered. In the other thing I thought sure. the other thing I thought was amazing, and I don't think many people were talking about it the day after, was the early penalty kill for Canada in the second period. I mean, mm. they went on the attack. The U.S. looked disheveled, and Canada scores right after twice, as a matter of fact, and, and that was the game. So that penalty kill was – it was aggressive. They gave up some chances on it for oh, sure, yeah. but – they got they got through with it, and, and that was the game there. Well, we'll look back at the World Junior Championship and the outcome of the gold medal game between Canada and Czechia in episode 31. But let's shift over to the game of the week in the National Football League. And just as a refresher, I see Chris Abbott at 6-8 and eight to this point. I yeah, see Darren job. Greger at 7-7, seven and seven, and I see Ray Not Ferraro bad. at 9-5. At and five. Still holding well, the lead, be man. Yeah, that's better. That's better. Chris has picked the game of the week. I hope you're okay with that, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I always am. He's the expert. Detroit <laughs> yeah. and Green Bay. So Detroit at Green Bay, I mean, it's it looks like it should be a, a heck of a matchup. So Chris, lead us off. Well, who do you like and why? Huh, both teams eight and eight. The Detroit Lions have certainly made a believer out of some people, even maybe even maybe their fan base. <laughs> it's yeah. a, it's been a tough sled for the Detroit Lions over the years. But listen, I'm not going to get cute with this. You've got Aaron Rodgers and a team that's been getting better as the season goes on at home. Must win game against the bad news Lions. 
I mm-hmm. I'm taking Green Bay. I'll lay the four and a half. They might win by three. This is this is one of these things where it might look too easier than it is, but I'm taking Green Bay to win this game. I might as well lay the points. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing, Ray. Sorry, buddy. Chris and I have taken Green Bay. Rogers, well, I'm taking home, Green Bay too, but I'm not leaving oh, the tees. I'm not leaving okay. the tees. Why would I? <laughs> you just left the standings out there for people to peruse, and somebody's at the top. So I'm going to stay with it. So I'm mm-hmm. taking I'm taking my six points and I'm putting them on the pack. So now I now I get a point and a half. Okay, yeah. And then I'm going to take the the over under, which I believe is forty eight and a half. Okay, that's open right. it up and yeah. taking the under. Wow, there has been many weeks where you haven't teased. No, I love it. Fair? I just it's so fun. I just I love doing it. <laughs> but you're doing it different. You're you're moving the total up and taking the under. That's yeah. that's different. You usually go over. I do believe that at some point playing outside in January in Green Bay turns the ball into a stone. And <laughs> the Lions have always found a way to help out. So I just... He's I got logic this is, to this, Abs. He's thought this through. This is just not something that's come off the top of the head here. He's given this some research. The Lions always find a way to help out is the best way to frame that, I think. I absolutely love it. Also, Ray, have you noticed that I'm not picking first next week. Uh, we're going to roll this in the playoffs because it's the only way okay. I can get yeah. back. But it's week 18. Dregs is ahead of me by one game. So I pick mine. He takes the same because oh, if I yeah. lose, he loses and he's still ahead. <laughs> if I win, he wins and he's still ahead. Don't think that he doesn't know what's going on over there. Yeah. I, I got a buddy who says, I'm just going to play dumb farmer. <laughs> this is Drager's play right here. Hey. All right, buddy. Thanks, Abs. We'll check in again on Tuesday. All right, the sports calendar's ramping up again, fellas. Have a good week. All right, we're wrapping up another week of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast, episode 30, pretty much in the books. And, uh, you know, this easy kind of stay-at-home living that you've grown accustomed to, Ray, as we acknowledged earlier this week, it's pretty much coming to an end, right? You've got a yeah. couple of games this week to think about. I do. Florida's in Colorado, so Colorado's starting to get a little healthier, which will be kind of nice and nice yeah. for them. And then two days later, I'm in Detroit for Toronto, and uh, it's time, you know, schedule starts to heat up. And as soon as we get off here, I got to book some travel. Otherwise, I'm going to be walking places. And, <laughs> um, you know, so I got to I gotta get it going. It's time, time to get going. For everybody, it really feels like after the new year, like the second half really is on the way. You know, we were going to talk a bit about injuries and headlines, and we didn't get to it. That's fine. But how about a shout-out to Jake DeBrusque of the Boston Bruins, right? I mean, remind me of the sequence in the Winter Classic. Did he score his first goal before taking the shot to the foot? I don't recall. No. Just after, my, my, right? My remembrance is that he, he took yeah. the shot in the foot before that. And, and then plays. So he ends up with two goals, the Bruins win on a pretty big stage. The Winter Classic is a pretty big stage. And then shortly after, you know, I don't know, later that night, next morning, whatever it was, the Twitter pictures are out there of Jake DeBrusque in a full boot. And now he's he's out long-term. So that's old-school stuff, isn't it, man? When you're, you're playing with a broken bone or a fracture, whatever the hell went on down there, I mean, it had to hurt. Well, you know, it hurts. It hurts, but... Under no circumstance do you take that your shoe off, off yeah. <laughs> until the end of the game. I mean, if you're taking your skate off, you know it's no good. He probably yeah. had an idea that it wasn't yeah. great. Yeah. But the whole time you're hoping maybe it's bruised. 
Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, that's what you're hoping for and doesn't look like it, of course. We're like, we'll wrap up here, but what was the worst thing for you? Was it a knee or something where you knew that you had done something bad or you knew you were injured, not hurt. You were legit injured, but you had a half a game left or a period or whatever it was. And you just felt like, you know, I got to keep in this game. I got to finish. Oh, it was my knee for sure. It was in LA and it already, I was coming back from surgery and I could feel it. I was get it was, it had less, uh, less bend as I was skating. And I'm like, yeah, this is no good, but yeah. uh, 23 minutes, I can get through that. You know, <laughs> at, the time, it, <laughs> it, it, at the time, it seemed like a hell of an idea. Now, eh, not so much. <laughs> yeah. One knee replacement later. Yeah, not, no, not, not a, a good great idea. idea. All right, buddy. Well, uh, first of all, good luck with your travel arrangements and then safe travels as you make your way through the NHL this week. Yeah, thanks, Drakes. Have a good weekend and we'll uh, we'll reconvene for yeah. next episode. Episode 31. Huge shout out to the partners who make this podcast possible. Thank you to our title sponsor, Canadian Club, who ask, are you over beer by Boston Pizza? Pick it up, get it delivered to your door. Just let Boston Pizza do the cooking tonight by Botano.ca. It is now available in Ontario. And remember, according to Botano, the game starts now. And by Dewar, check them out on the website, doer.ca. If you use our code RND15, you will save 15% off everything at Dewar. Thanks for listening to episode 30 of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast. Stay safe, everybody, and we'll check back next week.